resident engineering challenges and lighting specialist to arc residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Joey Kolzinski joins me from Boston, where he is a founder and CEO of One Vision Resources. One Vision's virtual customer service platform enables relatively small businesses to compete like much larger companies while maintaining the feel of a local bespoke service. Now the company is launching new offerings designed to fill in resources gaps that many integration companies wrestle with, such as managing HR and recruiting, financial planning and accounting, and business coaching and leadership development. Joey, thanks for joining me today. Great to see you again. You too, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I, I want to dive into what the new services are all about. It sounds like a great fit for the CI channel, uh, HR, and uh, finding finding people in this industry has always been a challenge. But I do want to remind audiences, um, the audience, what it is One Vision Resources was founded to do back five years ago when you when you founded the company. Um, your your company's I've, I consider it quite a trailblazer in what you're doing. Uh, could you give us the elevator pitch for how you explain the company to someone who has never heard of it before? You bet, and I'll, I'll try to live up to the to the trailblazer uh, <laughs> moniker there. So. Uh, you know, I got started well before the company was ever named or formalized, which happened, I think, around 2006, seven, eight. Uh, I got started in 2001 as a high schooler ripping CDs to MP3s. That was my thing. And it happened because uh, my first client had bought an audio request system and wanted to start you know, between an audio request system and an iPod, wanted to start to digitize all of his music. Um, and it just so happened to be that he was a very wealthy person with a bunch of wealthy friends. And, um, one thing led to another and I started doing more and more technology type support, uh, throughout my high school and, and college years. It, it, it definitely, it's a moment in time, isn't it? When you, when you describe that, it's like, this is so different from today's world where people may not even own CDs. Anymore. That's right. It's been so long that now it's sort of fun to say audio request servers because yeah. you know there's some people in the industry who remember those days, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, it it always triggers a good conversation. Yeah. So did that that lead into uh, custom integration right away then, or or what was the transition? You 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 went to yeah. college. You you got a degree. What in That's finance? Right. Yeah, so I got a degree in, um, uh, started out in computer science and then uh, economics and finance. And uh, my first job was actually on Wall Street. I did not think that I would be in the tech services uh, space. And mm. um, I spent two years on Wall Street, uh, didn't really enjoy it very much, and uh, decided to turn towards my passions. And so in 2008, um, I, I focused back on uh, people and technology. I really enjoyed working with people. Uh, since my early Starbucks days when I was in high school, I really enjoyed putting a smile on customers' faces and, and remembering their <laughs> drinks' names. So I, I sort of, I, I, I re realized in myself that I enjoyed putting a smile on people's faces, and I was also this passion for technology. So how could I mix the two? Um, when I started doing that, it was really just focused on computers and mobile devices and, and what I call personal technology support. So I was sort of that IT guy. And I named the company okay. One Vision because I had this 
you know, really strong conviction for how technology should be managed. And I didn't want to just be the person who was called in to fix it, you know, after the client tried everything else and then created a sort of worse situation. I wanted to actually manage the environment the way that an IT department manages it for the business or the way that a managed services provider manages it for the business. And that meant really grabbing the bull by the horns and coming in with a prescriptive solution and, uh, you know, uh, almost a set of guidance uh, for our clients to tell them, this is how we're going to implement technology in your life. And it turns out all of these clients had smart home systems. And, you know, oftentimes mm. I would get a request from a client saying, hey, you know, you're here fixing my computers. You know, my 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 AV guy hasn't, you know, responded yet or, you know, it's been a while since they've come over. You know, could you fix the AV thing? And so I started getting introduced to all these closets and racks uh, and and realized that there was an opportunity to really manage more than just the personal tech. I could become a comprehensive technology manager for my clients. And so in 2010, uh, around about then, I, I became um, a, a smart home integrator as well and okay. continued that for several years in the Boston area. Well, that, that's a unique pathway into custom integration. Um, I, I hear different stories and a lot of them are similar, but uh, kind of happening upon it while you're doing other tech support is kind of a, a, a new one for me to hear about. Uh, how did you even feel confident? It, was it that compu computer science experience in college briefly before you switched majors or, a, you know, focus area that gave you the confidence to say, I'm yeah. going to go into homes and help people with their tech support? Or you just were just had a knack for it and decided no. to make a life out of it? I, I think back on that transition quite a bit, actually. And, and I'm ashamed to say that you know, I said yes to projects I probably shouldn't have said yes to. I didn't sure. have the experience to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I, I look. I became a you know certified you know programmed programmer and installer of these systems, and um, I you know learned the products really well. I had a knack for the technology, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily knew what as I what I was doing, and that I should go in and do my first you know. Uh, a multi-system, multi-room, full dis fully distributed, you know, environment. Um, and luckily, I had great relationships with clients, and I always knew to, you know, make client, you know, do right by the client, and mm -hmm. you know, make up for it on the back end. And um, and I, I learned a lot along the way. Uh, I think what was really unique about the approach was my focus on service. So my business mm -hmm. model had always been service oriented, and so. I actually never marked up on hardware from the day that I, from my high school days, I just always passed hardware along. Now I charged a lot for my service. I mean, my hourly mm. rates were 150 bucks an hour when I was coming out of college and going into 2008, 9, 10, I was starting to charge $300 an hour. So I more than you know made up for it on the labor side, but I, my incentives were always to create the best experience for the client and not sell them more than what they needed. And the client could trust that because I wasn't making money on the hardware, but to ensure yeah. that, you know, I was there for them when they needed me. And so I got into the integration game in order to control more of the after install experience. I wanted to make sure my clients just had access to the person they needed instantly whenever they needed them. And if it was technology, if it plugged in, I, I wanted to be that person. And so right. that's what really drove me down the path. And, you know, it was through that angle that I sort of 
honed my craft on the integration side. It was really to inform the service model and the post-project experience. So you, you ran that part of the company, which is One Vision Technology for a while. And then what was it? Uh, around five and a half years ago, you, you founded One Vision Resources, which is what we're really here to talk about today with the, uh, the service company, the remote services provider. Yeah. Um, so how do you make that transition? What enabled you to say, this is an opportunity now that I can do this as a separate entity that's a need in the industry and this, maybe this technology now enables it to happen, or this is how enterprise does it. And I'm going to model it after yeah. that. What, what was that transition? So, uh, I had always known that there would be a demand for a tech, what I call today, a technology manager. Uh, it was always really clear to me that, um, a few statements would be true for a long time going forward. And I, by the way, ask myself these questions probably, you know, once a month, I'm always asking and just making sure like, are these things still true? Hmm. Will people have more technology tomorrow than they have today? Yes. I think that's going to be true for a long time. Uh, will technology continue to cause problems? You know, there was a time when I didn't think that that was true. I thought that we were going towards a DIY environment. I thought things were getting, you know, things would get easier. And I confused easier with reliable. And the reality mm -hmm. is, is that things got easier and cheaper, which means that they proliferated, technology proliferated throughout our lives. But now all the integration points became you know, complex. And now there was so much of it that needed to be managed. And I always asked myself, well, man, the IT industry is like 20 years ahead of us. Things have clearly gotten easier and cheaper there, but they still have IT departments. They still right. have managed services providers, right? So, um, at a certain level of the market, there's always going to be a need for, for someone to service it. And so that's the, that was the third question is, you know, will people be willing to hire somebody to take care of it? And I think that if they have enough technology in their life and it's causing enough problems, then there will always be a segment of the market looking for a service provider. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what really, you know, inspired me and drove me throughout or sort of kept me going throughout all of this to really figure out how do we solve this problem at scale. And I learned the hard way that just finding one client at a time in the Boston area who could afford my services at the premiums I was charging was not going to do it. It helped mm. me build a really profitable business. Um, I had developed uh, by 2015 about $100,000 a month in recurring revenue. Um, so about $1.2 million a year in recurring services off of about four employees. And on top of that, I was generating almost another million dollars a year in design and engineering services for when these clients needed projects. And so this is a really okay. profitable business on a really small team, but it didn't scale. It didn't allow me to really see through on this vision. And so I asked myself, well, who's going to be this technology manager? Like who could do it? And I started to realize that integrators in our market are actually sitting on gold mines. I mean, they already have a lot of the, what it takes. They have the trucks, they have the tools, they have the people, they have the knowledge, they have the skills, they have the relationships, right? They have these architects and builders mm. that are sending them new clients all the time, new clients who happen to have a fair bit of money and a willingness to spend it on technology and therefore also a proclivity to spend on premium services to make their lives easier as this technology starts to break. Right. Man, like they've got the perfect foundation and they're sitting in the thick of it. What's missing is the know-how, right? The, the knowledge about how to start selling services when you've been used to just selling product all the time, right? 
the scale, how do mm-hmm. you provide 24 seven when you're a five, 10, 20, 30 person company, right? Um, and the systems yeah. to really manage the client life cycle appropriately, right? How do you mm-hmm. market it appropriately? How do you handle the subscriptions? How do you handle the, the ticketing, right? It's all very different than a project-based sale. And so right. we started to provide that and we started to partner with integrators who would, who at the beginning had to take a leap of faith and trust that right. partnering with a company to share the burden of remote support would help unlock future potential. And that was really the start of it. So in those initial days, part of the challenge is just learning, teaching the integrators how to sell the service and to trust that their clients, well, they may say no, but a lot of them will say yes to service if they can confidently provide it and sell it. So what was it that you were able to do to get the confidence of those initial client integrators to say, this is how we're going to provide yeah. that service. What was the tech angle on that to be able to do? You know, it? it's, it's interesting. So before we even get into the tech, I think we have to address the emotions of all of this first, sure. you know, as an industry, this actually, to me, this whole story started 10 years ago with Ihiji, right? Ihiji okay, right. said, mm-hmm. you know, we, here's some monitoring technology and the monitoring tech will now finally allow you to unlock all of this revenue potential. You'll be able to create this whole new service for your clients. You'll be able to also reduce the burden on your company and you'll be able to make money. Mm-hmm. And so Ahiji produced the technology and said, now go forth and be amazing, <laughs> right? Right. But that didn't quite work, right? And we started to analyze that problem. Uh, I happened to invest in Ahiji back then and okay. work closely with the team. And we started to analyze that problem and realized, okay, well, we provided the monitoring technology, but somebody still has to be available to respond to all of these issues. And yeah. they have to learn how to bill in recurring, you know, with recurring methods and recurring services. And some of these problems are easier to solve. Some of them aren't. And um, so, okay, enter 2016, we launched one vision to provide some of these remote services. And I thought, okay, now go forth. I'm providing remote services. <laughs> I've now relieved you of the burden. Now go do it. It was like, well, wait a second. I mean, now I need to figure out how to sell services and market services and package them up. And what do I name them? And how? What what features do I include? Should I include hours? Should I give discounts? And we realized, it was like, oh my goodness, it's going to be the same problem all over again. And I just realized very quickly in 2016 with my first couple partners, we need to actually be far more than just a remote service operation. We need to actually enable our partners to do what they do incredibly well on the ground. I mean, they're already Mm -hmm. professionals in the business development, sales, design, engineering, complex installation and on the ground in the home tech support with these clients. Mm -hmm. They're fantastic at it, right? Why are we asking them to now distract themselves from that, what they're already good at and become experts in a whole nother world? We -hmm. need to actually become that expert for them. And so we started to build up our services and we started by providing, we, we built out a marketing automation system and a subscription management system in late 2016. We, we okay. packaged up the memberships in a very standardized way. Um, we, had, we, we pulled back on our, our not pulled back, we, we drew upon our own experience with what worked with clients. You know, I had about five, six years of case studies of different iterations of service programs that I tried to sell and, and, uh, and tried to promote. And, you know, that included discounts or fast response times. And I had a good feel for what worked and didn't work 
but I really developed a lot of confidence in what the value of these clients' time was. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is how I got to a place where my average client way back in the day was spending two and a half thousand dollars a month with me, right? Like, wow, who would have thought that yeah. they would actually spend that kind of money? And we drew upon that experience to inform us and inform our, our partners of here's what we need to do. We need to package them this way. We need to price them this way. We need to display them this way. We need to collect the credit card on the fly. We need to get a terms of service signed. Right. And we started mm-hmm. to work through that. And we didn't get it right at the beginning. 2016, I would say I was pretty darn good, but it wasn't good enough. And we iterated multiple okay. times over the last several years to really identify what a strong value proposition was of these premium service packages in order to be able to uh, drive conversions uh, with our clients. And that's what really you know, fueled us for the last five years until we got to this point where we expanded uh, to really flesh out the service operations model, um, the marketing, the subscription management, the software, the systems, the training, um, the, the coaching of the salespeople. How do you go sell this stuff? I mean, it is, it's, 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 it's not, I mean, it, it's straightforward, but it wasn't easy. It's like, it's, well, it's spending time, right. And giving yeah. it the energy and really investing in our partners. I mean, I, I can imagine as an integrator that it would be just kind of hard to visualize what it is you're, you're doing there initially until you start to actually see it in operation. And I, um, I think having it in my head that you're kind of like a, a support line that a client can call or, or there, there's a, you know, click on some device or whatever it is and that you're live humans in your support area there can contact or can connect to the system some way. And again, the technology part of it, I'm kind of curious how that all works again, but, but how that they can actually have all of this stuff kind of modeled in your facility to know this is this type of system. Here's what I think might be happening. And they run sort of that initial triage. And then if it is something worse, which it usually isn't, but sometimes it might be, then the integrator has to get involved, but you're able to kind of keep it away from them in these off hour periods where in the old days, they just had to be on call all the time to fix a problem that may just be a reboot or something like that. So, um, that, that to me, when, when I started to visualize that and I may be not explaining it quite right, but can you talk about how that yeah. began happening and it, how the trust sort of started to build with integrators you, you're yeah. working with? So the, for, I, I think it, you know, it comes back to the why for us, the why, what really, what really, you know, inspired us in our North star was all about creating a service experience that was so great. The client was willing to pay a premium for it, really right. making service a true revenue production, profit, you know, profit generating department within the company. And uh, that's a very different angle uh, than saying, well, I'm just trying to relieve you of the burden of it so you don't have to go on site after hours and you don't have to get pulled in all sorts of directions, right? And so when you look at it from the angle of how do I create such a quality product, a quality service that the client's willing to pay a premium for it, you start to realize that the integrator is actually already doing a pretty good job of that. It's just totally unsustainable and unscalable, right? right? What is the integrator doing? The integrator is providing, usually when we think the integrator, we think like the salesperson or the project manager or the tech who picks up the phone right when the client calls, right? The status quo, I mean, man, the client's getting 
the perfect person almost to do the job, right? They, <laughs> they know the system, they know the client, you know, they know it, it's all in the back of their heads. They understand it on top of their minds and they can engage right away with the client and help them out. Of course, like if that person could be available instantly 24 seven all the time, that would be amazing. Sure. The reality is, is that they're not. So how do we mimic that as much as possible? And then this is where technology starts to play an interesting role, but it's also technology. It's also combined with a people strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we realized, okay, we want to make sure this is white label. Let's just start mechanically. We don't want to be using the one vision name. The clients trust the local integrator's name. So we right. want to leverage their name. We're enabling the integrator to, again, maintain their local bespoke image, right? And their mm -hmm. local bespoke uh, uh, service while competing at the scale of a giant. So what are the things that we do want to add to it? Well, we want to absorb all the information we can about the integrator that helps make sure the client knows that they're talking to somebody who is effectively part of that team, mm -hmm. right? So we started building profiles on all of our partners and those profiles get served up to the team as nice. soon as a client from that integrator calls in. We want to mm -hmm. have a profile on the client. We want to know, is this client, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are they super techie and they're going to ask a bunch of questions or is this the kind of client who's like, hey, I have a problem. I don't care how you solve it. Just get out here and solve it. You don't want to sure. force that client into a 10 minute conversation about troubleshooting if that's not how they operate, right? So yeah. how, do, how do we absorb that and familiarize ourselves with that? And then also how about the systems themselves, right? Like there's, there's a certain amount of information about the system. It's really helpful to know, oh, in this room, there happens to be a cabinet with some equipment as opposed to the other rooms that are all centralized with a rack downstairs. Oh, and in mm -hmm. this house, we put a button downstairs that lets you just reboot the modem and the router, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, or in this house, they have touchscreens in addition to remotes, right? And look, oversee helps with some of this having access to oversee, of course, helps, but there's a lot that, you know, oversee doesn't provide a lot of that other filler information, right. That really right. helps you, uh, give the client the impression that, wow, I'm talking to somebody who knows my system. Maybe this person even almost installed my system. And I'm not saying we say that we don't say that, right. but if we can bridge that gap as much as possible, we will. So the technology we built is really about reducing the friction mm -hmm. between the support team members and creating the most familiar and intimate experience with the client possible. Right. And that that is now about to approach a whole nother area where we're going to start creating an app for the end user. So the app, the, the end user can actually have an app where we can engage in video chat and we can uh, you know, provide other tools and resources. Uh, for the client, and again, in the integrator's name, right? So that the integrator can right. say, yep, we have a support app, right? A tech management app. Mm -hmm. um, and then even uh, omni-channel, right? Getting back to the familiar component, when you're most familiar with your integrator, you text them, right? And that doesn't yeah. mean that texting is the best way to provide support. I actually think texting is usually not a great way to do support, but it's great for starting a conversation and getting something quick. Right. Absolutely. And so how do you mix and match? And those systems are sophisticated. You look at some of the best mm. support providers like you. You engage with American Express and that support experience yeah. is second to none. I can call and then I can pick up in a text, you know, a chat message and the chat person sees what I just called about. And then I can switch back over to email and it's all integrated. That technology is going to help our partners take their support and and management experience, tech management experience for their clients to a whole nother level. And again, all in the vein of. How do I create an experience that's so good it's right. worth paying for? Right. Absolutely. Right? Well, after we take a short break, we will uh, start talking about the new services offered by One Vision Resources. So uh, hang on. We'll be right back. 
For 25 years, Leon has been dedicated to creating innovative products that mix art with audio and design with technology. Knowing that technology is an integral part of modern interior design, Leon's collection of customizable speakers and technology concealment solutions is designed to deliver both sound and style to any space. From signature sound bars that seamlessly blend in with the display to art and frames that turn your TV into a work of art, Leon's products are built to order and handcrafted just for you to ensure a perfect match every time. Visit www.leonspeakers.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm talking to Joey Kolczynski about One Vision Resources, new services. And uh, Joey, I, I, I was excited to hear about the app um, idea that you're describing. And um, that, that sounds like a really great development because I think as, a, as an end user myself, I could see that being a very comfortable uh, kind of sale for me if I were working with an integrator and they said, here's our, our service plan. You get this app. If you ever have a problem, you just click here and it'll guide you through. Um, know everything about your system, that type of thing. How far out is that uh, component to your services? Oh, that's, I mean, that's probably about a year out is my guess. Okay. Um, and I'm just being conservative just mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, we don't get caught with vaporware here. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm more just using that as an example yeah. of, you know, what we should be looking towards. I mean, you look at Best Buy. Best Buy has an app for its customers. The fact that Best Buy has a tech support app for its customers and this industry doesn't, I mean, we do yeah. a little bit. Oversee has their Oversee Home app that lets you reboot, but it's not the same. It's a very small subcomponent. Best Buy's total tech management app is it takes it to another level. That's what we need to be doing, right? Yeah. And so that's what we want to enable. Um, but that's all, you know. I mean, we have our own internal engineering team, uh, uh, and uh, engineering and technology uh, is a big part of enabling uh, a phenomenal experience. Right. It, it must have been uh, affirming. Obviously, you can credit Ahiji for kind of being the the real pioneer in this space. Just didn't quite go the next level that you have. But then having competitors come along uh, in the in the space that you're doing that must have been kind of an affirmation in uh, in a way. I've, obviously, you'd love to not have competitors, but uh, it, it's it's sort of proof of concept. Hey, we're we're creating competitors now. Let's let's uh, yeah. let's go. Let's do it. You know, um, what's been what's been really cool about that, and you're, you're right, at the beginning, it, it, I sourced some of that from the competitors, right? But what the competitors provide is really they're filling in the gaps and addressing things that we're not addressing. Because I, I wouldn't say that we're really competitors. I would say that we're different solutions to different problems. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the integrators who come on board our platform, they've got to go through a rigorous selection process, right? This, this is not, we're, we're not taking anybody and everybody, right? And right. it is for the integrator who sees a future like the one that we see and, and really wants to partner with a business to supercharge their operations, right? They wanna take the company to a whole nother level at an accelerated pace that they likely would not be able to do on their own, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's, that, that's a, a certain type of integrator, but there are many other integrators who aren't interested in that. They're interested in treating service, either doing it differently. They're, they want to they skin the cat differently. There isn't just one way to skin the cat. I mean, yeah, I sort of think that there's one really good way to do it. That's why I <laughs> called it One Vision, right? And that's where the name came from. Yeah. But I respect the fact that there are other ways to skin this cat. And you know, different companies choose to do it differently. And 
you know, the, the alternative providers that are out there, they truly do something very different from what we do. It, uh, it's, it, it's some similarities, but probably just as many differences. And it's worth understanding, you know, what, what is important to you for, as an integrator, what, what's your intention with the business? Um, right. And, you know, the different solutions provide, you know, different ways to get there. But where we really sourced conviction is when we started to recognize that in other industries, there were very successful businesses doing exactly what we're doing, which is uh, identifying, if you think of a fragmented industry of any kind, think about the, the pizza shop world. Yeah. Pizza shop world is tens of thousands of fragmented mom and pop pizza shops, mm. right? And Slice came in, really cool company that said, look, we identified the fact that mom and pop pizza shop owner, you guys don't like to pick up the phone and take the pizza orders, right? <laughs> you, you take the order, you hang up and you really want to go back and make pizza, right? Um, or enjoy the fruits of your labor potentially and take some time off in the business. But you're not interested in picking up the phone and upselling fries or anything like that. It's just not what you do. It's not what you like doing. So how about we do that, right? We'll take your menu, send all the calls to us, and we'll take the orders. Okay. All right. And so they started mm -hmm. to do that and they started to realize, wow, Slice is really good at not just taking the pizza order. They happen to be upselling on fries and upselling on this. And the, the order quantities are much larger than before. And then Slice said, hey, how about we actually put a digital menu up in your restaurant and we'll manage that menu from afar. Mm -hmm. And hey, by the way, we can also provide you with the pizza boxes and we can start to consolidate all sorts of things. And before you know it, this pizza shop company that is still mom and pop pizza shop you know, on Main Street is actually being run behind the scenes by Slice. And enabling mom and pop pizza shop owner to finally get out of the weeds and get out of the day-to-day -day of having to run the parts of the business they're not necessarily excited about and just focus on having a much more sustainable business than they ever had before. And this right. is happening in the world of dentistry. This is happening in the world of auto mechanics. It happened in the pizza shop world. It's happening in the lawyer world. There's a lot happening around this space of selectively identifying quality uh, small business operators in a fragmented industry and not trying to aggregate everybody and right. not even trying to merge them, but just trying to bring them onto the same business platform so that you can get efficiencies of, at scale. Right, right. And that's really exciting. That's what's you know affirmed you know what we're doing and really deepened our convictions more than anything. Well, and how do you then go from developing this really finely tuned machine that you have. And obviously you've got an evolution, things that you're still working on to make it even better to what you're kind of launching now, which is beyond that, where you're almost yeah. talking about being a headhunter for, for custom integration companies. How, how does that fit into your yep. plan? So it goes back to our why. And, uh, you know, even our, our business model is aligned with our why. So it, it, it uh, is worth visiting our business model for a moment in order to understand why we went down the path of um, you know, adding on these additional services and expanding our platform. So uh, when we identify an integrator <clears throat> that we think we wanna work with, and obviously they wanna work with us, um, we are providing our services, all of our service operation services that I've described so far, we're providing them at subsidized rates. We are not making money on them. We're literally like at or below cost providing all of these services. You might ask, well, geez, how does that make any sense? How are you going to ever make money on that? And the reason why is because we are then sharing in the new recurring revenue that we're able to build on top of what the company's built, right? So the recurring revenue products that we introduce 
they're all new revenue streams. It's not like we're replacing your billable hours or anything. We're adding mm -hmm. on all new revenue streams for 24-7 remote support and priority scheduling and things like that. And so it's a completely new revenue stream. And we're going to share in that revenue stream. Okay. We believe in that future so much that we're willing to put our money where our mouth is, provide our services at or below cost, mm. and then say, don't worry about it. We'll make our money back on the back end as we continue to scale this with your business. Okay. Now, that means we have to be selective about the integrator. Not every mm. integrator can do this. There's many integrators we will not partner with for a whole variety of reasons. Um, maybe there isn't a good cultural fit. Maybe they don't have the operational scale that they need to be at whatever it might be. But you know, I, this is my full-time job now. I engage in these conversations across the industry to identify which integrators we think are a really good fit. Mm -hmm. So if that's our intention to really help our partners really take their business to the next level through service and really enable and create this phenomenal and highly profitable and what I believe to be probably larger than their current business group, within their company called service. And I think over the next five or 10 years, this group will be bigger than anything they have in their company today. I think that you know a successful integrator today in the next decade, if they play their cards right, they could have a service department that's got 100 employees with thousands of clients in the area, managing personal tech, smart home tech, smart appliances, all the things in the home that are technology related. Right. Well, imagine that world. What does that business look like? I mean, it's fundamentally different than what it looks like today. I mean, to have a business that has 100 people running a service operation, I mean, you need to have phenomenal hiring, phenomenal. Right. Not only do you need to know who to hire, you need to know how to go and hire them. You need to know how to go and onboard them and ensure that you have very little turnover. Because mm -hmm. especially if you're in growth mode, the last thing you can do is hire the wrong people and then turn them out. And then, you know, that has your recipe for disaster. Right. Then we started looking at finances. Many integrators don't have strong command of their finances. Mm -hmm. Right. And on the surface, they may say yes. But what we've learned is that as we started to dig into the books, it's not as clear. Okay. It is quite messy inside. And the most important thing is not necessarily that the integrator doesn't know how much money they're making. It's that if your books aren't in pristine condition and structured in best practice ways, it's really hard to use your financials in a strategic way as a tool mm -hmm. for growth. Really hard to go out and get financing. Really hard to learn uh, really hard to understand how much of your money you can afford to invest in this thing for some future potential revenue generation over there. Really hard to have right. discussions that are meaningful with other integrators about potentially combining opportunities. It's, like, it's really hard if you don't have that commanded. And it's really hard, by the way, to understand how to optimize margins. How do I increase my profit margin here? How do I decrease my cost there? If you don't have a super strong understanding of exactly where all your money's going and how it's being used. So mm -hmm. proper gap-based accrual accrual-based accounting is um is critical and then the third one we realized is if these business owners are going to be running a company that has 50 to 100 employees i mean i learned from personal experience you are not as a leader if you're going to see successful in that world you have to grow and mature as a leader and your whole operation your organizational design your the the strength and maturity and skills of your manage, management and leadership teams have to evolve uh, a lot of things have to change. Mm -hmm. And so we realized that business coaching was also something that would be important. So we launched these three services specifically to enable our partners to take their businesses from where they are today to where we expect them to be over the next five to 10 years. And because it's all in the interest of driving that service department profitability and revenue that we're associated with, mm -hmm we can afford to continue to subsidize this. Mm. So we're offering our recruiting services 
at no additional cost to our partners for every member of their service team, service coordinators, service managers, service technicians. We design the job descriptions. We go out and find the leads. We go and interview all of them. We then do the second and third interviews with our partners. And we then write the job offers to the, you know, to the extent our partners need that help. We do the comp analysis. And then we even help do the onboarding with the partners. Wow. Right? Yeah. And if they want our help with anyone else in the company, like a salesperson or a project manager, we'll do that for a very small fee. Okay. Certainly not a percentage of salary. Mm-hmm. Right? Same thing on the accounting side. We'll be your bookkeeper, your controller, your CFO. We'll review all the books. We'll standardize the chart of accounts. We'll handle the AP, the AR, the time tracking, the payroll, the inventory, all of the things. And again, do that for an insanely low price, right? right? Yeah. At the moment, our initial partners are at $1,500 a month. Okay. And that is, you, you can never go get those kinds of services. I mean, that's CPA level and bookkeeper level combined services, you know, for a fraction of what it costs on the street. And it's because we're not trying to make money on those services. Right. We're trying to make sure our partners can go and grow their businesses, which is how we make money. Hmm. When they grow, that's how we grow. <laughs> so it's exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting. Well, it's interesting the way that your finance uh, degree kind of is coming back full circle to pay off for you as a company um, owner in, in service. So you're, you're... Also my own evolution just as a mm-hmm. business owner. I mean, my books weren't always pristine, right? Mm. Like I had to go through my own learning curve and um, I, I, I empathize greatly. Um, uh, you know, even though I understood all these terms from my wall street days and, and my, you know, academics in college, it, it took on a whole nother meaning when it was my own company. And I had to go through my own scares of like AR problems and AP issues and not understanding my balance sheet. And, you know, I, I've, I went through my learning curve and, uh, I see that in our partners and we want to help accelerate that for them and, and help them get to the other side quickly and successfully in a better way than I ever did. I know that you're just launching this, but have you had initial conversations with some of your existing partner uh, dealers who um, have given you feedback yeah. on how they, how how uh, how interested they are in uh, yeah. adding services? So none of these things got, we're a big fan of of uh, only announcing things that are real. Mm-hmm. So none of these things uh, are sort of in process are, are sort of like in planning stages. Everything we've we've been doing. So the hiring component we started at the beginning of last year. Okay. And uh, we've started we started providing those services and realized how in demand they were uh, and formalized the offering. Um, the accounting services we started at the beginning of 2021, so beginning of this year. And the uh, EOS business coaching services uh, that we've provided through uh, partner EOS coaches that we have, uh, we started doing that yeah. in the middle of last year. So okay. you know, we have many partners who we can introduce to any number of, of interested integrators, whether they're existing partners or um, you know, other integrators not on the platform or interested in the platform who can speak to all sorts of different services we provide. And, and they, uh, by the way, also helped inform how to make the product, right? Like the way we started some of these services was different from the way they've ended up. So our, our own partners have really helped us design and evolve the services over time. And yeah, you, you mentioned uh, EOS, the the platform for business management. Um, that so you're you're partnering w- with that organization then uh, for that the leadership aspect of this. So what we've done is, you know, EOS took an interesting uh, uh, sort of tact in the last several months. They've become a franchise operation. So the only people who can do EOS coaching are those who are EOS franchises uh. and or EOS franchisees. And so uh, we started by providing EOS services in-house. We actually had 
certified trainer, or we had trainers in-house who were um, uh, familiar with and trained on the EOS uh, methodology. Um, the As they evolved to this model, uh, we also evolved and we now maintain a bank of EOS coaches who uh, we vetted and you know we've secured relationships with to ensure that you know preferred pricing can be provided to our partners and uh, you know we also ensure that they're familiar with our model to the extent that you know the the part of you know introducing a productivity framework for a business is also helping them see through on their vision of the next 10 years and so it's helpful uh, that you know the EOS coaches uh, that work with our partners are familiar with the service vision and mission, you know, that we share with our partners. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I look forward to following the progress of, of this, uh, these new services and of course your company, uh, it's core service business and, um, talking at a, at a later date to see how, how these companies are evolving and how you're finding good, talented people out there for them. And I really appreciate your time, Joey. It's been great talking to you. Have a great rest of your year. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. Really appreciate you giving me the time to come on and share this with your audience. And Joey Kolzinski is CEO of One Vision Resources. You can learn more about the brand at onevisionresources.com. And that wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to our Tuesday and Friday newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.